Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On this episode of Missing the Point, we sit down with longtime Boston Celtics and NBA beat writer Steeple Pet. We'll discuss the current state of the Boston Celtics, what's gone wrong over the last few seasons, and some of his favorite stories from covering the NBA for over 35 years. This is Missing the Point, episode 58, but it's all relative. Welcome into Missing the Point. I am your host, Michael Marcangelo. As always, joined by DK Sizzle, Dave Clark, and Hollywood Wally, Rayshon Buchanan. And on today's episode, we have a very special guest. He has covered the Boston Celtics for over 35 years. In addition to being the dean of NBA beat writers in continuous service with the team, he's also covered the Celtics as a home and away beat writer longer than anyone in franchise history. The native of, of Lynn and Swampscott is a graduate of the University of Dayton, where he pursued dreams of playing basketball and becoming a lawyer. For the context of this interview, we are so glad it, it did not go that way. In recent years, he has received the APSE National Top 10 Honors in Feature Writing as both a beat writer and columnist. Please welcome to the show, Steve Bolpet. Steve, thank you for taking the time. How are you doing tonight? I'm fine. Good to speak with you guys. Yeah, I mean, awesome to have you here. And obviously... You know, we're in the midst of one of the weirdest Celtic seasons in recent memory. So don't really, tell me. Yeah, we. I mean, I have to tell you at all. We really want to talk to you about this. So we'll, I'll just open it up right now. 34-31, seventh in the Eastern Conference. How big of an underperformance is this for this Celtics team? Well, I think with their injuries and their COVID issues, that this year, excuse me, in a lot of ways, is headed for a major league asterisk. But having said that, the, the way that, that at times they have come out and just not played with the requisite energy that you need to, the times where they have gone away, what they know is best for them have been, I, I, you know, I know it's been difficult for the, the coaching staff to watch. And I'm sure for you guys as well, because it's, you know, it'll drive you crazy, I'm sure. Do you think that the contrast, Steve, like of Jason Tatum's season, it like has that elevated watching them for you at all? Because I like I feel like the period pre All Star break where we were all just basically miserable watching the product that they were putting out. Like now, post All Star break, Jason's done yet another leap. You know, I feel like he does it at the same time, about the same time every year. He's dropping sixty points in these big comebacks. We probably shouldn't have needed to come back in that game in the first place. But do you think that you know? 
having covered the Celtics for so long, you may be a little bit better than us can be less reactionary. When you're looking at it, can you go, well, that was the, the big Jason Tatum season, though. That was where when Jason became, you know, a top 10 NBA player. Or do we just think it's like, oh, I don't know. It's all the surrounding pieces aren't good enough. Well, if you look at the Celtics, and this to me is the, the basic ultimate Celtic trivia question. The Celtics have never had a player who's led the league in scoring ever. They've had six players who've led it playing for other teams, but they've never had a so, – so the point is Celtic basketball isn't about, you know, sure, one guy can go off for 60. He's that good. Larry's done it. There are other guys who could have done it, but they make their living off of playing team basketball. I mean, I've always said that there wasn't a day in Bill Russell's life, I've written this, that Will Chamberlain wasn't a better individually talented player in terms of if you were going to have a, a basketball decathlon – Wilt's your guy. But Bill Russell understood the object of the game in a way that perhaps Wilt never did. I love Wilt. He's a great guy. But Bill understood the object of the game, and that's why the Celtics won. So, you know, guys would subjugate maybe what they could all what they could do individually for the greater good. And it it seems to have worked pretty well, judging by the, the laundry hanging from the ceiling in the garden. Yeah, I mean, I mean, well, keep keeping up with the 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 theme of you know being team oriented. I mean, obviously that's what Brad Stevens has preached. Now on this show, people that listen to us, I call Brad Stevens horseshoes because he, he just almost gets the job done. And I'm, I'm personally, I'm sick of him, honestly. You know, so you know, the question I want to ask is, you know, do you think that Brad, do you think Brad has lost lost the room? Because I mean, he's coming preaching, you know, move, ball movement, but they don't do what he says at all. So do you feel that he's lost the room? Well, they don't. They do it enough, but they don't, no, see, they don't do it enough. If you're telling the guys what to do and what you're telling them to do works not only for the team, but for them as well. Okay. Like, you know, what's, if you're a talented player in the Celtics, what's better for you taking the ball and going at one or two or three guys and controlling the, uh, trying to score through, you know, through two players or break a double team or, moving the ball around and catching it where all you have to do is finish. So not only good for the team, but good for you. And it makes the team successful, yet you're still not doing it. Should you be looking at the coach or should you be looking at the guys who are being shown that, that what you're being asked to do is best for the team and you're still not able to do it consistently? Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I'll go back and I'll, I've, talk to people that were involved back in if you had you you had Paul Pierce Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen together in 2007 2008 if you'd have had those three guys together eight years prior to that do you have the same result you had in 2008 you know definitely not so I mean not 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 right away I don't think I mean you know, individually, those all three of those guys had made the conference finals. You know, Ray did it in Milwaukee, KG did it in, in Minnesota, obviously. But it was once they had good surrounding pieces around them. So, you know, I guess that goes back to Danny Ainge, right? So, you know, is he doing enough to put the surrounding pieces? Because my thing is, you can't have the guys when you're trying to compete, but then also trying to build uh, the team up, you know, from with, with the young guys. So it's just like, you know, has Danny done a good, good enough job with orchestrating this, this team together? Well, it's always, and everything is, is in context and, and the mix. So a couple of years ago, when you had that team with Kyrie, mm-hmm. who is, for whatever else you want to say about him, he is an incredibly talented. Absolutely. Guy. But you had that team 
sweep the Pacers, go into Milwaukee and smoke the Bucks in game one. And all of a sudden it goes away because they turn into hero ball and guys stop doing what they know is good, not only for the team, but for themselves. You know, if you getting back, because I don't want to leave the coach thing right now with that unanswered, maybe if you've got a guy that you is your coach and he and there's a lot of guys in the league that that are coaching for themselves and making them trying to make themselves look good. But you got a guy in Stevens who knows what he's doing, who's and it, and this is what I get for sure from the eye test, but also when I'm talking privately to other coaches in the league and they'll tell you what's up and who's real and who's fake among the coaches. These guys respect Brad a lot. So you've got a guy that knows what he's doing, right? And that also isn't a guy like Bill Fitch was who drove guys crazy. This is a guy who wears well. He does get on the guys privately. He doesn't throw them under the bus publicly. If you're a talented player and you can't play for something like that, you know, someone like that, then maybe you've got some work to do on yourself. So, you know, I wouldn't let, I'm not letting players off the hook on this one at all. You know, when you have Jalen Brown coming out after a game and saying, you know, this is on us. We've got to come out with better urgency. You know, I mean, giving a rah-rah speech isn't going to work in the NBA. Okay. You, you got to have a coach who wears well over time. And I can give you a bunch of examples of guys. I mean, Phil Jackson would put the guys out there and he would sit back and it's okay. And they'd be, there'd be times where they'd be screwing up. And a f- close friend of mine who's passed away, Frank Hamlin was as an assistant. Should, should, Phil, should we call a timeout? And Phil would just sit back and said, no, they got themselves in it. Let them get themselves out of it. Yeah. So, and I, 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 I love that philosophy. Sorry. Honestly, I love that. Clearly it worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yet you had, but you got people that are saying that, that Brad's not on these guys enough. Yet he is there, like, get up the floor, get up the floor. You know, you lose Brad Stevens. What do you bring in next? And does it have the kind of shelf life a guy like Brad Stevens who has perspective? And yes, basketball is hugely important to them, but he also understands where basketball fits in life. So he's given these guys room, especially last year and into this year as well, this season as well, when we all know that there were things more important than basketball going right. on as if they're not all the time, but he was very much, you know, under, not just understanding, he was with that whole issue, not just tolerant of it, which would be really bad. And he was with that issue. Yeah. And, and, and issues, to your point, you know, the, anyway. the, the leaders on that team, the guys that are currently the leaders on that team, they were there at the very start of this Brad Stevens project. So if they've just decided that they're not buying in all of a sudden, I mean, I think I agree with you. I think that's going to be on them, right? Because it's like they've seen this work. You know, they saw it work when they were younger. And when you play Brad Stevens basketball, it's a successful brand of basketball. You know, I, I know we we get on them on this show all the time about, you know, maybe we get to the Eastern Conference Finals, we go to Game 7, we lose. We get to the Eastern Conference Finals, we go to Game 7, we lose. But we went to the Eastern Conference Finals and went to Game 7 with teams that well, shouldn't have been there, you know? <laughs> look at that, and I wrote about this uh, – tweet about it, especially at the start of this year. You look back at, at, I had two questions coming into this season. Number one, could the team get away from hero ball that, that would strike at particularly an opportune time? The game seven at home 
conference finals against Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's your game. It's that is your game to have. I'm not, I, the Cavaliers knew subconsciously that they were going to get smoked yet you had guys and it doesn't mean that they're bad people. <laughs> and that, you know, so what I'm saying, the hero ball thing, most of the time with the Celtics, it's a case of guys saying things are going bad. I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to go make a play. And you drive into one guy, which becomes into two, into three. It's a bad shot. It's a turnover. You're trying to do the right thing, but you're taking the team away from what works. You're taking the team away from its game. So, you know, that year they lose to Cleveland. To me, that was huge because trust me, having spoken to people on the the Warriors, they much were they were much happier facing Cleveland than they were the Celtics that year. Yeah, because all they had to worry about was LeBron. Yeah, well, I mean, that was, you know, that that team was ready. But and then you had again that we mentioned the uh the year where you had your best collection of talent. You know, they go into Milwaukee and the game plan is we're going to move the ball, but we're going to beat the hell out of Giannis and have other people beat us. Game twos happens and they get a couple of quick fouls called. No, you got to keep on playing physical basketball. They went away from it. After that game, I remember in the press room, I, and I think I wrote this, that, hey, don't worry about it, just one game, because Kyrie got up and said, look, we made mistakes. I know what the mistakes were. They're not going to happen again. Yet things just devolved from there. And then, you know, then you go into next year and it's, you know, it, it just got worse. You had those guys, you know, you had talent and it, it didn't work. It didn't fit for, for whatever many reasons, perhaps. So do you think it's the youth? The, the, the youth is the, is the biggest factor in their mentality? Or do you think that they're mentally weak? Like well, from your experience? It, it's guys, you know, wanting to do the right thing, but not realizing that taking the initiative isn't always the right thing, you know, because it, it's taking you away from the game plan. So, you know, now you're playing one on whatever basketball instead of five on whatever. And it's, yeah, I remember saying, I've said this over the years to when I, with a bunch of basketball people I've talked, I, I wish the game were more complicated so we could sound more intelligent. It's really <laughs> freaking simple. Yeah. You know, move the ball, pass, cut, you know, move side to side. So that was, I started to say, that was one of my biggest questions this year was number one, can they get away from hero ball and stick to what works, particularly in crunch time situations? When you talk about the guys that Ainge has put around them, yeah, I mean, there are some moves he's made over the years, you know, that are head scratchers, certainly. Because he's also gotten some guys low down in the draft as well. But if you've got guys that are on the wing spreading the floor like they're supposed to offensively, and they don't see the ball for three or four possessions. I mean, not even a touch. And all of a sudden they get it. How are they supposed to be in rhythm? How are they supposed to look good? You know, when the Celtics over the last few weeks, at those times, those stretches where they've played fast, even in the half court, play fast. Ball finds energy. Everyone gets to touch. Everyone is a part of it. The, the cutting even if you don't score on a possession where you've moved the ball side to side, where guys have cut, there's a value to that possession because you've taken something out of your opponent. Your opponent doesn't have as quick a hop in its step coming back the other direction. So a healthy Kemba seems to facilitate that a lot more than 
any other player too. And we haven't really been able to see that in a consistent basis. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, do not discount the injury coming back from the surgery, the quick start to the, the quicker than expected start to the season, because they were figuring it was going to start in January. And then, you know, Kemba, who doesn't admit stuff, excuse me, like this, hardly ever. But he said, you know, he admitted that coming back from the injury, he was feeling okay, but he was sometimes subconsciously concerned about if I make this move, is it going to screw me up? Am I going to hurt something? And that's another threshold you have to cross. That's, you've got your, you've got to break down your adhesions after surgery. And I know too much about this stuff. Um, yeah, so, so, so do I, man. <laughs> I, was, I was telling somebody recently, because I had some scar tissue taken out of my shoulder. I just wish I could look back on a successful athletic career with these injuries. <laughs> but you have to deal with the, the adhesions, the literal scar tissue. And then there's the emotional scar tissue. That's a river you have to cross as well. But when you see this team playing fast, tell me what's not to like about what it looks, what it's like visually for fans and in terms of its success possibilities and your, you know, your optimism, perhaps. Do you, do you, would you look at things differently if they were doing it more consistently? Yeah. And full arenas might go a long way in improving the energy of that team, too. I feel like it's got to be weird when you haven't played in front of an empty gym for, you know, a lot of these guys for years and years. Like, even if it's a way. Yeah, I still I don't buy that. You don't? I apologize. I don't buy that. You, I, I think I tweeted it one time. You know what's motivating? The scoreboard. Right. Facts. I guess they, you know, they do say that they phase everybody out. They don't even notice it. Well, if if you, if you guys play ball, I mean, I guarantee that, you know, you play in the summertime. I think it's screwed up now when you're playing AAU and you're playing indoors in gyms and you're getting your run in. We played outdoors and we used to drive from here down in New York to play. You played where if you lost, you sat for you don't know how long. So there was a keep the court mentality. When you play at certain places around here and certainly in New York, on game point, you hit a jump shot or if you drove, you were going to bleed internally. But (laughs) I'm guaranteeing you all, if you guys were playing in your neighborhoods even, when it was keep the court, you all know someone who wasn't the best player among your group, but who always seemed to wind up on the winning team. You know, I can, I've got guys in my head that, I, you know, buddies of mine, yep. and there's that mentality. So motivation is, you know, when you're getting sand kicked in your face by San Antonio, does it, should it really take you that long to fight back? No. no. And when you fight back, are you going to fight back individually? Or are you going to fight back together with what works? I think with them, it's, it's an expectations thing, right? Like whenever the expectations are heaped off of them, like, do they just play free? Like whenever they're expected to win or expected to, you know, to go on this long run or, oh, they're at home for four or five games so they should win all five. And it's like, oh, well, they went two and three and they were pleased with that. But it's like, I just feel like whenever they're, the, the expectations are heaped on them, that's when they wilt under the pressure. So that, that to me is frustrating as a fan to watch. I do want to go back to the Harold Ball thing for a second. Do you believe that Marcus Smart is the catalyst behind, you know, the ball moving and improving? Because I feel like there's times when he, 
is being that playmaker, then they're much better. But then he also has moments that infuriates, infuriates all fans when he's shooting jumpers that he should not be uh, shooting. Once again, everything's not going to happen like it did in game. I want to say it was the game one or two against uh, Toronto when he hit the five threes in the fourth quarter. That's the that's like that was out of this world. That's not going to happen all the time. So you know, just you know, how important is Marcus Smart to the Celtics' success going forward? I think I think the Celtics have come to grips with the fact they're always going to be kind of walking the line. With Marcus, because I mean, he and he had another recent game where he he had a bunch of points and a few sh- a bunch of shots in the fourth quarter. But that's Marcus. He plays. I've, I've never seen a guy that was. He, he, well, he's one of the most different on and off the court people I've encountered over my you know career covering basketball. But you, for what you get out of him, it, the deal is worth it. I I, mean, I know I tweeted this out. Around trade deadline, you know, as much as people around the Celtics have have mixed emotions with him, there are teams that really, really wanted to have a Marcus Smart on their team, a guy, you know, he's comparable to a Draymond Green. And I remember last year talking to Draymond after their after the Warriors practice and doing a column on that and how great Draymond agreed that yeah, Mark he sees a lot of, of himself in Marcus. So, you know, look at the at, at, at Draymond with the Warriors. Get some bad technicals, you know, some plays that you wish you didn't do, but, you know, it's sometimes it's part of the price you pay. You know, would you hope that Marcus would be more judicious at times with, with his shot selection? Sure. But you could say that for a lot of guys in that team, couldn't you? Yeah, back to your point before about how you know some of the onus on this has to be on the players. We always tend to point to coaches. I, I guess f- for you, like what happens next? So what is the remedy to the situation? Because I, I believe that Brad gets the most out of, out of his teams. We saw that early on. He, he's gotten teams that have lesser talent to the Eastern Conference Finals. It feels like with the talent that he has now, that's been their their ceiling. So would they move from the coach first? Or from the player first, or do we just give it more time? Well, I, first of all, for the rest of this year, obviously you, they're they're just kind of hoping that they can get some health together for for a stretch. I think that's how they will look at this year. But yeah, you know, you, you've got to make a. There's going to be a big issue with Fournier in the offseason, free agent. So that's something they've got to cross. I don't see them making a move with the coach. I see them maybe looking at at how the mix works. But again, when you look at what this team wants to be its core, its basic rotation. How much has it gotten to play together this year? You know, what you've seen out of Evan Fournier over the last three halves, you know, does that change your outlook? Does that, you know, does that change the the view of the floor for Jalen Brown or a Jason Tatum? Does what Aaron Neesmith is doing now, this guy was, he came in as like, man, this guy's a shooter. But when you don't have your confidence, you're not playing as much, you know, it's hard. So if you get this Aaron Neesmith for a, a whole season, does that change how you look at the roster? You know, do you get a, a, a healthy from the get-go Kemba Walker? Do you get, a, you get a Robert Williams from the start knowing that he's a major piece who's going to either start or play significant minutes no matter what? kind of guy. Does that change your view of how this roster is constructed? Yeah, they'll look to make moves, I'm sure. But, you know, have you seen what you, have you seen what this team really is 
in its best composition yet for any good stretch of time. And Brad starts with defense, right? So I feel like, you know, defensively, you need to play with the other guys on your team. And like, especially in the kind of defensive Celtics play when they switch on everybody, like you have to get that timing worked out. You have to play with other guys. And there's been a lot of, like a lot of the guys on this team haven't even been there for that long. You know, you look at a Tristan Thompson, like I personally would rather see Robert Williams play more minutes than Tristan Thompson, but you need, you still need Tristan Thompson to be playing, like you said, with all those guys to be able to make the kind of Tristan Thompson impact that he's supposed to be making, you know, off the bench. Yeah, I agree. And you, and also I think defensively, they've got to do a better job of the, the, the phrase guard your yard. I want to see them get into the ball more early, you know, Let's go back. Reggie Lewis was not a quote-unquote great lockdown defender. But what Reggie would do was, you know, he would be aggressive with you. He'd make a move at you so that you had to do something. to. He wasn't going to be a sitting duck. You had to do something to beat him. I, I would like to see the Celtics, when the ball's over half court, pressure more. Then you can do, you know, then you can help out afterwards. But sometimes it seems like they help too early and get into rotation and give up wide open shots. Or when that shot is missed, you know, someone's unaccounted for, so they get the opponent gets an offensive rebound, you know. So guard your guy, pressure, force him to do something. Offense is always going to, should always have the advantage over defense because the offensive guy knows what he's going to do before the defensive guy knows what the offensive guy is going to do. But if you're aggressive, then you can, you know, force a guy some a, a way you want to force him or at least force him to you know think consciously to potentially make a mistake i would love to see in when the Celtics come back in games that's what they're doing and it's not always not trapping because a trap is a defensive weakness because you're leaving someone open your guy i'm guarding you i'm up on you okay you might beat me but i'm going to be there and it, you're going to get in it's going to take you longer to get into your offense and, you know, good things can happen out of that. I, w- I would rather see them be a lot more aggressive defensively, man-on-man, one-on-one at the point of attack or prior to the point of attack. Even. And then you've been in the other team's face for four quarters and they're sick of you, you know? Yeah. So by the and I feel like a lot of teams, just, they still have a lot of motivation, a lot of gas against us in the fourth quarter. And I feel like that's come back to bite us in the ass a lot this season. And I feel like if we're, in, like you said, if we're in their face from yeah. earlier in the game, Play they're, tight they're defense. I think time. Brad should make it a rule that you're not allowed to brush your teeth on the day of the game. <laughs> <laughs> That's a yeah. great idea. <laughs> Don't be showers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Don't shower after shoot around. <laughs> so it, it sounds like, you know, if this team can get healthy, right, and, and they are, that maybe they can get healthy at the right time this year, are you convinced or that they could make a deep playoff run? Or do you think it, you know, maybe a second round? I mean, going by what we've seen, it's, I, don't, I think it's impossible to have any great confidence in this team, right? <laughs> right. I mean, you can only, you know, you mentioned I went to college to be a lawyer. Originally. You have to go by what evidence, you know, <laughs> is on the record here. You know, but, you know, you look at the teams in the East, you know, it's funny. The, the Sixers are doing fantastic this year. And people are going to, and I like Doc. You know, I've known yep. Doc for, you know, since I started covering regularly. He was Back before cell phones, he was the first opposing player whose home phone number I had. But I don't, you know, I'm not sure that's all Doc. I think that's Joel Embiid saying, okay, I'm going to be in shape and I'm going to kick ass this year. 
because you look at the stories that, that were out about him before when they had team personnel over there putting healthy food in his refrigerator and they'd show up to replenish it the next week. And that same food would be there and there'd be empty pizza boxes around his place. You know, so Joel and me decides, I think this season I'd like to be a beast. Yeah. Life is scary, good. this iteration of him. Yeah. And you look at the, you know, getting back to the whole Brad thing and people have, I've heard people saying, you know, Brad can coach a team of upstarts, but when it gets to real talent, you need to have like a Doc Rivers. But you look at what happened with the Clippers and all the talent they had with Doc, and that kind of blew up big time, you know? So, you know, I don't think there are absolutes. We do still match up so well against all these teams in the East on paper, you know, maybe the exception of Brooklyn. I feel like is what you're saying, right? It's like, I'm still not that scared of the 76ers. I know that like Joel Embiid is having a beast mode season, but we always beat them in the playoffs. Like, just like going by the history, you know? If you, if you go into that and the old Celtic way was, you know, you've got a guy like that. He's going to get his points. You guard him as best you can. You make sure other people don't go crazy. You don't leave shooters to help, you know, on Joel Embiid, you know, that's where a guy like Tristan Thompson needs to come in with. Tristan has the Aaron Baines philosophy of defense. You may score, but it's going to hurt. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Cause Robert Williams can't guard Joel Embiid. He's, he's well, he can, he can help. He's not, he, yeah, he's going to get bodied inside, but if he just plays him, moves his feet when Joel Embiid goes up for a shot, you know, Rob Williams can still block it. Yeah, he can block anything. I mean, I, the fact that he's six foot nine is, is mind boggling to me. He plays like a seven foot two guy. It's wild. Yeah, I mean, and, and but you know, if you guard their shooters and you let and you force, excuse me, Ben Simmons to make decisions, then I think that plays to Boston's advantage. But look, you know, again, I think everything is context. If Brooklyn is healthy and they have their heads together, then no one beats them in the East, okay? And, and everyone says, well, you know, Ainge should have gone out and gotten James Harden. I have no confidence that what James Harden showed in Brooklyn, he would show here. Because when you look at how he played in Houston, you know, those great numbers, great stuff, but did it elevate his team and – you know, when he chose to play defense, he was really good at it. But, you know, a guy that would come in this year, and, it, and there are stories going years back with him there about how he would undercut people in power around the team. So Kevin McHale specifically, I think in Boston, we all reacted to their relationship with a kind of a negative turn, you know, because it's our guy. Well, but I mean, you know, did it, but you look at what the bottom line effect on that team was. Did that team maximize its talent? You know, so, and then the way he came in this year, you know, I don't want to play here, et cetera, comes in in whatever shape he was in, kind of distanced himself from the team. But then he goes to Brooklyn. It's a situation he wanted. He played great. I mean, he's an incredibly talented player. I mean, you know, no one's going to take that away from him. So, but you have to ask yourself, would it have happened here? It's not just like, you know, a computer chip where you plug it in, it's going to work a certain way. Right. You know, it's got to, you know, is the environment based on his teammates, based on how he sees himself with that, you know, is it going to fit? And so, you know, hey, more power to him. They put that team together. Well, 
you know, Kyrie might get GM of the year for that if they if they win it. And I and Sean Marks is a great guy and very good basketball man too, running the club. But that Kyrie's decision to grab Kevin Durant and go there if they win, that will be the critical move that made that team. Because you know, anyway, yeah, I would think the Celtics would have trouble with all those teams. And do not sleep on the Bucks. Yeah. Getting Drew Holiday in the position where Eric Bledsoe used to play is a huge upgrade, Yeah, especially in the playoffs. If Chris Middleton is hitting shots, I think, I, I think Giannis is a given. I think Drew Holiday is a baller and a, just a, a solid guy player-wise in addition to his great talent, count-on kind of guy. They, it hurt them last year losing a guy like Malcolm Brogdon because he's a guy they could count on to. But if, if Chris Middleton is hitting the shots that are going to be available, and he can, you know, and you've got Brooke Lopez who you have to guard, that could be a team that you have to be very concerned about. But that, doesn't it feel like they're five deep, though? Like, they're, it's, they're a good team in the regular season, and that's teams that are led by Coach Bud always do well in the regular season. Like that's, I mean, we've seen that, but to me, I just feel like they're 5B. And, and like, like you just mentioned, you know, losing Brogdon was huge. I agree. Holiday over Bledsoe. I mean, just <laughs> he could have played one game and that would have been an upgrade over, over Eric Bledsoe. Like he, Eric Bledsoe has, is not the guy that he was since he left Phoenix. I, I to me, I, I still don't, I still don't buy Milwaukee. I, I don't think there's enough depth there to win. Like I said, Giannis is going to get his, that's fine. But I just don't know who else, like I said, if, if one of those other three, other two guys are not on, will it be enough for them to win that now? Like it was on, it was on, uh, on Sunday when they played Brooklyn and, you know, Giannis had 49 and then Middleton had, you know, in the twenties and then Drew Holiday had around 20, but is that going to happen on a consistent basis? Because they, they, they're going to have to, in order to get to the, at least to the finals. But then, you, yeah, it mean, yeah, a guy like Joe Harris on Brooklyn is, is a guy you count on more than guys on Milwaukee perhaps. But yeah, I think again, it's going to come down to whether that team plays its game and, you know, Hey, a couple of years ago, the Celtics, you know, what we saw them do to the Bucks in game one and then never go back to it. The worst. Absolutely. Well, so so speaking of that, so I, mean, we, I know we spoke about that series, but I, mean, I don't think you were covering the team when, when this happened. But which which Bucks uh, series loss was worse? The team that lost in 83 that got swept or the one that happened a couple of years ago in the 2018-2019 season? I was like five years old in 1983. <laughs> that team was it, – it had – run its course with Bill Fitch. Casey Jones was the perfect coach afterwards because in 84, the next year, I'll make a strong argument that the Celtics weren't, that the Celtics weren't the better team than the Lakers in 84, but they just out-toughed them that year. And, but you had guys, you know, I remember talking to I was working for another newspaper, the Salem Evening News, and I went to media day training camp, the start of training camp in 83. And I remember talking to Robert Parrish aside and asking him about what's the difference going to be. And his quote was, and I apologize for this really weak ass Parrish impersonation, but he said, well, maybe this year, everything we do won't be wrong. Those guys were like, you know, that was pretty good. That was, yeah, it was good. But, you know, what they did afterwards, you know, what they did with uh, – they were, Casey was, like, a good basketball man, and he, but he was the perfect guy for that team. They were like, just let us go. Let us play, you know. 
And after Bill Fitch, who was good for that group, perhaps getting them together when they were younger, but it, you know, at a certain point when someone's yelling at you all the time, which is one of the things you talk about with, you know, Brad does get on his guys, but you're, if you're talking about a shelf life, if some guy is just, you know, it's why a lot of college coaches don't do well in the NBA because they're hammering and hammering and they have to, to keep, you know, keep the hammer down in college. It's a limited season and you don't have guys over periods of years. Patino did really well in Kentucky because guys didn't have two and three years to get sick of them. You know, they were in, they were often into the pros. Especially in today's NBA, right? I feel like there's a lot of the, you know, the, current crop of NBA players are probably going to have a little bit of even shorter patience for, you know, a guy, especially Brad Stevens's age, you know, like Brad K is in no position to like be yelling at Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And you're right. He's it's smart of them not to just be like hammering them every 10 seconds. Cause they're, that is really when they're going to quit on them. But here's the interesting thing too. It's again, comes back to context. You get Greg Popovich. He is coaching at Pomona Pitzer. I'm sure that you've got them on your TV package. You watch them play all the time. He comes on, he's an assistant with, with the Spurs, becomes the head coach with the Spurs. Pop is a certain way, but he's consistent and you can deal. He's yelling at Tim Duncan. If Tim Duncan decides, I don't want this guy yelling at me. I'm I'm enough of this crap. We haven't heard of, of Greg Popovich. He's gone. He's the wind. He's vapor. He's history. Quick, I need a couple more cliches. Come on, help me guys. Uh, <laughs> He's for the birds. But yeah. Tim Duncan says, okay, yeah, yell at me. That's, I'm taking that. What happens then is players come to that team and say, damn, he's yelling at Tim Duncan and Tim Duncan's taking it. If he can yell at Tim Duncan, he can yell at me. And all of a sudden, Greg Popovich becomes one of the winning, winningest coaches in NBA history. So by that relationship, you know, that twist of relationship right there, there's the difference between a guy that's going to be a, in the Basketball Hall of Fame as one of the all-time great NBA coaches and a guy who's not. Before we move on to to what would be a playing uh, series or a playing game against Charlotte if, if the season ended today, I wanted to ask you because I think Ray just hit on a really good point. We, we had uh, Dan Shaughnessy on uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he said that the 83 team, was it was the was the most talented underachieving team along with this is there and i I wanted to pick your brain about that because i i think in our lifetime aside from the you know the 2007 2008 celtics that that won it all there's never been a team with this much talent with this much i would say pressure and as you know as far as regular season standards go they just haven't met up haven't lived up to it so is there a comparable team that since you've been in town covering them well i would say that the team that lost to the bucks in the second round I mean, you had a group there, again, that was, you know, that was a team that scared the Warriors. And that's based on, you know, numerous conversations with their uh, upper management and with Steve Kerr and, and some of their players. They were, you know, concerned about a team that could switch all kinds of positions and guard them like that and could play, you know, the Celtics probably played them better than just about anybody else in the league. And they were concerned about that. So I, I would say that kind of team, that kind of talent. Yeah, you know, that 83 team. Uh, this year's team, yeah, they drive me crazy. When, And, I, again, I'm not a Celtics person. I'm a basketball person. I've always kind of looked at myself right or wrong. And just, you know, I, I think I tweeted out the other day, 
you know, losing a game isn't a sin. Not playing hard enough to win is. And, you know, when you don't get it together there, but then, and I don't mean to be a, a too easy a grader, but you've got to look at, you know, you know, when the ball is being passed, well, that pass the other day in Charlotte in the backcourt was a, a brain fart. Yeah, that's inexcusable. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, oh, but yeah. I mean, you know, has this team gotten been together enough to get its, get its trip together? But yeah, some of the ways that they've lost, I can easily see why Dan would say that. So you just mentioned Charlotte. Now, if if, if the season ended today, the Celtics as a seven seed would, would be part of the play-in tournament, which that means that the seventh and eighth seed only have to win one game out of those two to advance to the actual playoffs. Right. We, we would play Charlotte right now. Are, are, are we convinced that they would win that game and move it, it into the top eight, or is it going to be a, a toss-up? Because I, I, as I'm looking at this here, Charlotte, they're not world beaters, but they're good and they play hard, right? So what, what is your confidence level? You know, one game winner go home series against, uh, against the, the Charlotte Hornets. I, I ain't betting this place on it. <laughs> <laughs> not even the uh, lighthouse over there. No, yeah. and not even the turntable over there, which I think technically owning a turntable makes you eligible for Medicare. Here's the good news. If you're a Celtic follower, the Celtics have it within themselves to play. And certainly if they play their game and Charlotte plays its game to the max in each case, Boston wins that game. Okay. If you know, my against my, they look generally in a seven game series in the NBA, the better team wins. It ain't that way in hockey, right? In a seven game, a hot goalie can screw you all up. It's not that way in football in one game, New York giants twice against the Patriots, but the better team doesn't always win. In those games, but in basketball, seven games pretty much. But you've had the Celtics last year. Uh, Miami was not the better team. Right. I'm sorry, they, they just weren't. They really, you know, they played their game better. But as much as I love Jimmy Butler, they there were games in that series where he wasn't quite there all the time. You know. Right. Yep. Exactly. Um, yep. So that was their series. You know. So these these are teams that that are in their way. They could be now when you get up to. The first three teams. Now we get some questions. Okay. Now, if you're but if you're playing your game, do you have a puncher's chance? If you're healthy, yep. You know, you're not playing back to back, so you should have Kemba. And I think what Evan Fournier is doing, playing through the COVID issues that he continues to have, you know, potentially embarrassing himself, which most players wouldn't do. I think speaks volumes for his character. And, you know, so I, that's a guy you want around. So, yeah, I mean, uh, give me a healthy – take a healthy Celtics team. You know, let's see them play. But are they going to win those games? You know, tell me where their heads – go back to my question one from the start of the season. You know, when things get difficult, is Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown going to say, give me the ball, I'm going to go make a play. And then it turns into like, you know, one on three and a bad shot. And he might even make it. He's that good. They are that good. But is it what you need? And again, he's trying to do the right thing. But it's, you know, is it the best thing to do? So before we uh, before we wrap up, I do want to ask two questions. One is a favor. The other is just a question I'm curious about. So my favor, 
Could you please, please just for our listeners, because I've heard this on a couple of the podcasts that you've done over the last couple of years, your Larry Bird three-point contest story in 86. Can you just shed some light on that? Because I think it's a great one. I always thought that, you know, guys are not just their talent. The big part of it is competitiveness. I mean, Michael Jordan was an incredible player, but he became Michael Jordan, you know, to the max degree because of the competitor he was or is. And that's what led him into some gambling issues. He, you know, that was Michael, the action. Bird was, you know, loved to compete. And it gets to the keep the court mentality thing we're talking about. So then the first three-point contest is 86 in Dallas. He wins it. He's the walks in the locker room and says, I'm just looking to see who's going to finish second. Second, right, yeah. <laughs> Psyched them all out. They're gone. And then from there, I mean, we... Celtics flew commercial back then. So certainly the guys that the group that was at the all-star, you know, we were on the same flight, flew to San Francisco. And then my favorite, this flight from San Francisco to Sacramento, which I think was like, I don't know, 20 minutes in the air. We dusted a few crops on the way. So you had some good tomatoes that year because of that flight out of Sacramento. So anyway, we get there and they're staying at this Red Lion Inn, not a, a high rise, one of those ones we've got like a, a lobby thing and like tentacles with rooms you're familiar with it ungodly who decided that this was a good idea anyway so the team would gather get to the next city on that monday it was kind of the traditional thing after all-star for a bunch of years they'd start a west coast trip on tuesday so the team would fly to the next city on monday have a practice monday night and then play the rest of that road trip with always pretty much always that sunday that following sunday an afternoon game against the Lakers in the forum, national TV. Okay. You get to Sacramento. The team is, it's around five or six o'clock or so. And they're gathering to get on the bus. And Larry is standing there with his like dime store memo book, little note, small, tiny notebook. And he's taken down everybody he's bet on the team, which is pretty much everybody. I don't know, five, $10. I don't even know how much money it was. Very, you know, not a whole lot. And he's just standing there. Hey, where's the money? Come on, come on. I'm three-point king. You said, oh, well, I'm going to be the three-point king, but I'm the three-point king. You know, where's your money? And it's like, Larry, it's in my, like Dennis Johnson. Larry, it's in my hotel. It's like a half an hour away. You know, it's, you know, a mile away from it. Go get it. They, they ain't going to leave without you. They, you know, bus is going to leave without me. I'm three-point king. I will wait for you. Go get your money. Get it up. Let's go. You said, I'm going to be the three-point king. I'm the three-point king. He's checking guys off. That's you know? Insane. So it's, yeah. So tell me that guy. And he's, a, look. Larry Bird is a much better athlete than people have made him out to be over the years. You know, the guy could play and not, you know, was an athlete too, you know, physically gifted, all those things. But he was a freaking competitor. He just, you know, some guys want to get, win, some guys have to win, you know. And speaking to the current thing, I had a coach, when Marcus, before he got to the Celtics, was playing on some national team thing. And I believe it was Billy Donovan was telling me the story that when they would be having drills, practices, you know, guys would be okay. When they started keeping score in a drill, no one's beating Marcus. You know, <laughs> fuck, I got to win this. So, yeah, that's that's Larry, you know. I do love that story. Then the last thing, it's off the cuff, best basketball memory in the old bar, in the old Boston Garden. Well, sorry, this isn't going to be what you want to hear, but it's, I, I, pl- <laughs> I played there in high school. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> actually, what, that's actually what I had written yeah, down here. Yeah. Really? You no, no, that? I'm just kidding. No, no I'm, I'm kidding. I, I, I figured it was going to be. Me. Must get the hook removed from me. Yeah. yeah. Can, you, can you get this out? Yeah. yeah. 
And uh, well, here's what, the funny high part. School? Pardon me? No, I said, what I, high school? I got lucky. It was at Swampskin High School. We were playing a, a oh. game against Winthrop. And back then, you weren't allowed to dunk in games or in or in layup lines. You weren't allowed. Dunking was illegal. And there were Northeastern Conference referees working the game. Guys who I had refereed games of mine since I was like playing park league ball. And I'm Greek. We used to play the Goya League. Greek Orthodox, it's like a Greek CYO thing. So, but these are guys that know a while left. So I get the ball near half court where the referees are, and it's like, hey, can you turn to the side for a second? You know, give me a second. They knew what I wanted to do. They said, okay, well, so they turned around and I went in and dunked. And uh, so I can say I dunked at the garden. That's amazing. <laughs> so yeah, but in terms of what, you know, something you might give a shit about, the bird steal of, of Isaiah that game, but also something else that, that stuck with me, that taught me a lot about, basketball was, and I wasn't at the Herald yet, but after game one of the 85 finals, the Memorial Day massacre. Massacre, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, Celtics smoke the, the Lakers by 34. Was it 148-114? Yeah. And the, this is the year after the Lakers, the more talented team, had lost to Boston. And the Lakers were a tight-ass team. I remember talking to Jack Nicholson in the Bruins locker room, because I'd gone in there to get my shoulder work on after a practice. He was in there waiting for the media to leave so he could go into the Laker practice. And he said, this is all off the record, but I think we're the statute of limitations run out. And he just said, and, and you got to picture the, the Jack voice. And this is the day after Magic hit the baby hook to really give the Lakers the big, the big lift there. And he said, yeah, the Celtics, they, they drive the Lakers mental. But anyway, so he was all happy. But, so, but getting back to this game here, the, the Lakers were a tight-ass team. I mean, Kareem, love the guy as a person, incredible player, does not nearly get his due in the all-time great conversation. But these guys were all defensive. You know, worthy these guys were like they got smoked in game one. And I saw Magic Johnson, who I'm not saying I'll be right, but I will make an, an argument for him as the best of all time. I'll, I at least want to have him in the discussion. Because of, you know, what he would do, not only on the court, okay, he wanted as a point guard, he wanted playing center in that game, right? Yeah, against, against Philadelphia. The, against yep, the yep. Mm-hmm. So Magic comes out, and you can just see it, that he's waited a bit, and he's going to come out here so he can get the guys are finished talking to other, everyone else, and the media is all going to go around Magic. This is, this is before the days of the podium. This is in the locker room. Whoosh. Okay, and they're around magic. And he just stood there and answered every question and took the pressure off his entire team. Like, hey, would you be happy if we lost by two? It's one game. Don't worry. I'm not worried about this team. He gave his guys confidence. He's the kind of guy that when he knew Byron Scott had a really difficult defensive assignment, he would make sure Byron got a couple layups just to keep him in the back and forth in his matchup. You know what I mean? He understood that. And he, you know, and for all the talk about Pat Riley is a great coach, which certainly you can't deny. Back then, he used to be able to go to practices. I remember sitting in the forum in the stands watching Laker practice, and they're, they're working on something, and Riley goes, okay, let's move on to this. And Magic goes, no, no, let's run that one again. When you've got a guy like that doing that for you, your life as a coach, pretty good. Yeah. 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 
Absolutely. Well, Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to join us uh, today. Before we, we, we go, I want to give you the chance to tell all the listeners out there where they can find you and any any projects that you've been up to or that you're going to be up to. Well, right now you can find me on Twitter yep. uh, at Steve B. Hoop. And frankly, the last bunch of, for lost quite a while here, I've been really, it's a couple of things we're waiting on. And I'm at a point where the next move I make is going to be the one that really, that fits. I want it to be the one that fits. So that's why I'm not in something more traditional. But yeah, that's, other than that, you can see me doing about four miles a day. Of, I've actually gotten healthy after 35 years on the road. <laughs> Good. Talking to, talking to Joey, I've lost almost 40 pounds. Yeah. yeah that's what's up, man. <laughs> yeah. So I was talking to Joey Crawford, former referee, and we came to the agreement that the NBA, the life is, it's, it, it's, it's hell on you. And we agreed that it's, uh, the NBA is a pre-existing comorbidity. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. There. Well, Steve, uh, again, thank, thank you so much for taking the time. I, I loved the the entire discussion. I really love the chance to ask you about that Larry Bird story because I think the more that this generation and future generations can, can, can just hear about his compete and just his mindset is awesome. Are you going to answer the question, the trivia question? I gave you one name already. You didn't say both of them? Oh, you mean with Dave Bing? Six, six guys who've led the league in scoring. Have played for the Celtics, but no Celtics ever lived. Oh, I, I I know I know one. Uh, Bob, Bob McAdoo. That's two. Okay. Um. What? Oh, uh, guys, you're getting really quiet here. I don't know, man. No, yeah. no, no I, I got. I'm up for the challenge. Uh, Tiny Archibald. You know, um, you can move the ball around here. You don't have to. No, 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 no. We're, we're, we're <laughs> playing ISO. Yeah, we're playing ISO. Yeah, we're sitting yeah, in the I'm, ring. I'm, I'm being taken right now. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. Hey, if it works, it works. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think who else. Um, can, you, can you say what year? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm trying. So, so got got three out the six. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think I'm still. Like I said, I, I knew those. I, I figured those two right away, but I, I can't think of the. Uh, of no the, one ever gets Bing. One of the reasons that people don't get Bing is because uh, he won it the last year that they counted by total points. To, to, uh, that's how the scoring champ was decided. But I think I think Oscar had more per game that year. But Dave Bing was the official scoring leader. Gotcha. But anyway, you, you, three to go. Well, I mean, we're we're. I'm, we're, I'm, 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 I don't know. I'm, wait, are you guys I'm, on mute? No, we're no. not on mute. I'm, I'm, trying to think, I'm trying to think of who it is, though. <laughs> I defer to the expert, and that's Rayshon. No, 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 Steve, no, Steve's the expert. Shaquille O'Neal ever lead the league in scoring? Because I know he played for us for like four seconds. <laughs> <laughs> So okay, so so so, sack, sack. so yeah, someone so, so, so. else is contributing. Okay, so that's four. All right, I'm just four. glad I got one. I, yeah, I'm out. I retire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, did, no, Kevin Kevin Garnett didn't do that. No, um, Ray Allen didn't do it. Kevin so, only ever played for us. I know. Oh, was did, what was is, is Dominique Wilkins one? This guy, he's carrying you. I mean, oh yeah. <laughs> so so okay, so Dominique Wilkins. Okay, hey, Sean, can I ask you a question? Yes. Are, are your shoulders sore? that's that's five and then okay let, let's think about six um i'm trying to think of maybe someone in the 80s they played with uh you know what wasn't 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 bill walton he, he was he wasn't a big scorer like that um plus he was injured all the time um man i'm, I'm trying to think of someone else i can't i can't think of the six guy i can't think of the six guy like Don, perhaps, Dominic, I buy, I buy Max perhaps the most so. entertaining player that's ever played the game. 
think he's I think he's still the leader in college scoring, and he and he did it before the three point shot, which means he'd be untouchable. If who's Pistol the all time college leader? I think he still is. Pistol Pete. Bingo. I didn't know. Oh, oh. Very, wow. Yeah. Wow. wow. Okay. Nice. Okay. There you go. We got it. <laughs> there you go. Damn. That was tough. I mean, I, was I, tough. I, I, I really, really cared us for that segment. So I appreciate it. <laughs> it was, it was great. But uh, Steve, again, thank, thank you so much for, for taking the time. It was great. You, you and Ray, I mean, you guys are encyclopedias of the NBA. I was, I, I looked really bad on that one. So we might have to cut that out in post, but again, thank you so much for taking the time. <laughs> Look, have, I love that you're having fun. Be well. Stay safe. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. For for DK Sizzle, Rayshawn Buchan, this is Michael Marcangelo saying thank you so much for listening to Missing the Point, and we'll talk to you later. Electric Acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today.